0: Tonight, we're going to talk about singleness, singleness. Uh, This is actually one of my very favorite things to speak on, Um, and (laughs) uh, just, I know you're all probably thinking, man, you know, poor Michael, he's put himself up there to speak on singleness. Um, You know, everyone's now going to think that he's like the token single guy at Thrive, Uh, and as I like to say... I'm neither in the market nor on the market. Uh, But I do love speaking about this topic. (laughs) And um, it's something that is really, really special in Scripture. In fact, what we're going to see tonight is that the Bible's view of not getting married is in many ways higher than its view of getting married, believe it or not. So if you think that somehow, you know, you just, if you want to be like really fulfilled in life, you just have to be in a relationship or you have to be married or any of these things, Pay attention tonight because the Bible is going to actually say that in many ways, there are a lot of things that are better about being single. Not every single thing, but many things are. So um, that's what we're going to look at tonight. And uh, as we do, we're going to look at a passage from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So 1 Corinthians is one of the letters in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, grab a Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. The whole chapter is too long and it talks about way more things than just marriage and singleness. But I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then verses 25 to 38. So, um, just so you know, by the way, just so you know kind of where we're going tonight, we're going to look at this and see that there are three surprises in this passage about singleness. Number one, surprise number one, uh, singleness is good. Surprise, it's good. Number two, uh, the second surprise is why it's good. So number one, that it's good. Number two, why it's good. And then surprise number three is that Jesus satisfies. Jesus really, truly, honestly satisfies. So uh, let me read this. Uh, Verses one and two. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And then uh, flip to verse 25. And uh, when he says, he, he's going to use the word virgins here. He's simply talking about single people. So you can just kind of uh, think of that as you, as you see that particular word. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a wife. Or, or, sorry, what is it? Are, are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Huh, wow. I don't know if that's advice that young adults tend to follow. Uh, but if you, do, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. (laughs) There you go. So, uh, first of all, I just want to ask you, raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon about singleness in church. Okay, that's actually more than I thought. Um, This is kind of a subject that doesn't get talked about very often, um, which is sad because as you just heard, the Bible's view of singleness is extraordinarily high. It's a very, very high view of singleness. And um, what I want to do is I want to just, first of all, point out that singleness is good. Singleness is good. I don't know kind of all the emotions that are in the room as we talk about a subject like this tonight, but I I just want to acknowledge that this is a pretty tender topic, um, especially if you've kind of been through um, some really difficult relationships or maybe the difficulty has been you really want to be in a relationship and maybe that isn't something that's happened in your life. And so this is a tender topic for sure. Um, and in fact, even before I go on, um, I think just in light of that, I'm actually, this was not in my notes, but I, I want to I pray for a minute and just sort of um, invite the Holy Spirit to come and just minister to us as we're looking at such a, a sensitive, tender subject. Um, so Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now Um, Would you just come into this room and would you rest on us? Would you just speak to any of the fears or insecurities of our hearts? Father, would you change our way of thinking if our way of thinking is not in line with your perspective? And Father, fill us with just a hope and a joy um, at just the good gifts that you have given us in the form of singleness and in the form of marriage. So just thank you that we get to look at these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I said there were three surprises, and the first surprise is that singleness is good. Um, So, for example, in verse 1, he says, it's good for a man not to marry. Maybe you heard him say that. Um, And then he kind of lets us know that singleness is his own personal preference. If you look down at verse 7, which we didn't read. And then in verses 36 to 38, as you just heard, uh, he's giving advice to someone who's trying to decide whether or not to get married. And he says this, he says, he who marries his fiancée, or it says virgin in one version, he who marries her does well, the person who doesn't marry her does even better. So what's that about? Uh, don't, don't worry, don't get freaked out about that verse if, you feel, if that verse is kind of scaring you a little bit into thinking, oh boy, you know, I guess I should never get married now. D- don't worry, we'll, we'll come back to that a little later. But I, I just want to point out those verses to say that, wow, like Paul, the Bible, has this really lofty view of singleness. Um, Paul, who wrote this letter, was single himself. Jesus was single. So the Bible says that singleness is very good. And the reason why this is so surprising is that you have to understand that when Paul wrote these words, there was there was a huge amount of pressure against being single in his own day. Um, let me just give you an example. There is an ancient Jewish uh, like set of like opinions, a bunch of Jewish rabbis wrote down all their, uh, you know, said a bunch of stuff and then it got written down. And, and one of these Jewish rabbis, Um, back around this time, said this. Listen, this this, this will blow your mind. He says, he who is 20 years old, raise your hand if you're over 20 years old in the room tonight. Okay, so listen up, everybody. He who is over 20 years old and not yet married spends all of his days in sin. Oops. (laughs) So, wow, you know, this is a pretty extreme opinion. (laughs) Thankfully, this is not a biblical opinion. But the question is, why? Why back in Paul's day was there so much... kind of hate toward all the singles. One reason was that in that time, um, in Old Testament times, singleness was unthinkable because only through marriage would you be able to have kids. And for that day, having an heir, having children, was how your memory got passed on. And that was how your wealth and your legacy got passed on. And if you died without heirs in that culture, it meant that you were forgotten. You had no future, you just kind of vanished to die without heirs made you a nobody. And so this is why if you read the Old Testament, there are all of these places where people are kind of lamenting about the fact, woe is me, I'm not married and I have no kids. So for example, remember Rachel? Rachel is um, one of the two wives of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And Rachel can't have any children at first. And so... um, There's a part in Genesis chapter 30 where it says God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. Or there's the story of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, There's a part where Hannah is weeping and praying to the Lord because she's so desperate for God to give her a son. Uh, And then uh, there's, this this is almost a comical verse. This is Isaiah chapter 4 verse 1. And he says, In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. Now, I'm taking that verse out of context. A little much, that's right, Cody. I'm, I'm taking that verse out of context. Don't read too much into that. But all I'm trying to show you is that back in Old Testament times, marriage was seen as the way that you could be guaranteed to have. Uh, A legacy, that that your memory would be passed down. Now, in our day, the views on marriage and singleness have changed, and yet, I would say that especially, actually, in the church, unfortunately, it's still common for singleness to kind of be looked down on. Uh, So, one reason for that is actually from our culture. And, And the reason is that we, in our culture, I would put to you, believe in what's been called apocalyptic romance. Apocalyptic romance. The claim that our culture wants to make you believe, in fact, there are people who spend billions of dollars trying to get you to buy this, don't believe it, but the, what they're trying to get you to believe is that unless you are with someone, like unless you're in a relationship, unless you're married, unless you're in some kind of some kind of relationship, then that means that there's no way you're ever going to be happy or satisfied. Uh, there was a, a, a famous, I think he was a psychiatrist, a guy named Ernest Becker, and here's what he says about this belief. So this is about our kind of modern Western culture. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. What is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. Now, to you catch that last part in there? He's saying that like what we're looking for in our culture when people are kind of looking to romance is they're looking for Redemption. Redemption. Now you're probably thinking here, you know, what right does a dead psychiatrist have to make such sweeping statements about my love life? But uh, if you don't believe him, I actually want you to listen to a song. Uh, Christian's going to queue up a song, and this is a song some of you might know. It's from a group called Florida Georgia Line. Anyone know this group, Florida Georgia Line? Okay, this is a song of theirs called "Holy." I want you to listen to these words, and I want you to tell you, I want you to tell me whether or not Ernest Becker is right. So did you hear that? So this is a song where, the, where the, the, the guy is singing to the girl and he's saying, you're holy, 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 holy. I'm high on loving you, high on loving you. You're the healing hands where it used to hurt. You're my saving grace. You're my kind of church. So now you listen to that and tell me, is this dead psychiatrist guy right when he says that what we're doing when we look to romance is we're actually looking for religion. We're looking for redemption. We're looking for the thing that only God can give you But we're trying to find it in another person. So this is apocalyptic romance. This is why our culture is so obsessed with relationships. And so the idea is, well, if you're not in a relationship, oh my goodness, you're missing out. You know, it's it's like a kind of form of purgatory. And now, isn't it convenient, isn't it convenient, you guys, that we Christians, you know, Christians just do such a better job getting singleness right in the church. Isn't that, you know, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Well, it's not nice because it's not true. Um, There are so many bad stereotypes in the church today about singleness that are just flat out wrong. Um, let me just read you, uh, this is from a little a funny little article by a, a single Christian woman, and she's kind of making fun at all of the bad ways that Christians think about singleness. So um, here's some of the bad ways Christians sometimes explain singleness. She says, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life, as though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. <laughs> or here's another little slogan, you're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which to work. (laughs) Uh, Next one. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. As though God only requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. And maybe you've heard that before. Uh, Or, here's another slogan. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful as though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the sufficiently sanctified. Now, of course, there's a grain of truth in some of these. I mean, it's been said that marriage is not so much about finding the right person as becoming the right person. So there's there's some truth to that. But the point is, is that, unfortunately, like even in the church, uh, there's sort of this idea that in order to be a complete person, you have to be married. And so in the ancient world, as well as in the modern world, singleness was looked down on as bizarre and even a little shameful so it's so good it's such good news that in the bible the bible says no singleness is not shameful singleness is not bizarre singleness is in some ways more normal it's good and the bible is totally radical in saying that singleness far from being a curse is actually a gift so that's the first surprise is that singleness is overwhelmingly phenomenally good but then there's a second surprise and that's the surprise of why it's good so why it's good uh, what we're going to see is that Paul appeals to two reasons here in, this, in what we read. And, and what I want to kind of try to demonstrate here to you guys is that you actually need both of these two reasons working together to have a healthy view of not only singleness, but actually a healthy view of marriage too. So the first reason is a theological reason. And then the second reason is a practical reason. So look with me at verses 29 through 31. This is a few verses before the section re- uh, that we read. And uh, so he says here, 29, What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So there's the theological reason for why Paul says that singleness is so good. But what does he mean here? Uh, well, the point of all that he's just said is that the coming of Jesus changes everything. The coming of Jesus changes everything. So according to the Bible, Jesus' death and resurrection were such pivotal events that they actually changed the whole course of history. They What, what, what Jesus' death and resurrection mean is, is it? it's a promise that sin and death are are doomed and done for, that one day Jesus is going to be crowned as the king. And so that's why the Bible says that to live in between Jesus' first and second comings is actually to live in what the Bible calls the last days. Because all of history is racing ahead to the moment when God's kingdom will fully be uh, established. And so that's why Paul says here in what we read, don't be engrossed in the things of this world. You know, like some people are are trying to live their whole lives just to store up money and to buy a bunch of toys and to get a nice car and to get a nice house and all these things. And the reason why that's such a foolish way uh, to live, that's such a foolish set of goals to have, if that's what you're really living for, is that all those things are going to pass away. All those things are not going to last. And those things are ultimately not going to go with you into heaven. And so Paul says, man, like if Jesus really is who he says he is, then Why put all of your chips in the world's basket? Um, I really like the way that uh, Tim Keller comments on this particular little bit. So let me just read this. He says, uh, talking about this passage, what are the implications of this? On the one hand, it means that all the social and material concerns of this world still exist. The world goes on and we live in it. We must take thought for tomorrow. Yet our assurance about God's future transforms our attitudes toward all our earthly activities. We should be glad of success, but not overly glad. And saddened by failure, but not too downcast. Because our true joy is in the future is guaranteed by God. So we are to enjoy, but not be engrossed. See that difference? So you can enjoy the things of the world without being engrossed in them. And so another way that you could put all of this is that in light of Jesus' coming, good things no longer have to be ultimate things. Good things no longer have to be ultimate things. And that actually includes marriage. So what we saw was in the ancient world marriage was considered the only way to have a future it was considered an ultimate thing that you had to have but the mod in the modern world kind of says the same thing it says well without apocalyptic romance (laughs) you you've never truly lived but the bible sees marriage not as an ultimate thing but simply as a good thing it's not the most important it is good it's it's something that can be enjoyed but it's not the most important thing And in fact, if marriage were the most important thing, you know what that actually would mean is that it would mean that heaven would be a pretty boring place because according to Jesus, marriage is not going to exist in heaven. Matthew 22, verse 30, if you want to look that up. Uh, What God is saying here then is that marriage is good, but Jesus is better. Uh, Before Jesus came, people saw marriage as their future and as their security. But in Christ, Jesus is our future and our security. Jesus is where we can feel loved and safe. And the reason why this is important is that if you don't get the way that singleness is good theologically, then you're going to get enslaved to apocalyptic romance. You're, you're going to like run the risk of forever idolizing marriage and putting it on this pedestal because anytime you idolize anything above God, it's always going to crush you. So if you're idolizing marriage and you never get married, then you're going to fall into despair But if you're idolizing marriage and you do get married, then you're going to be disappointed. Because marriage is not for the faint of heart. You know, like marriage takes a lot of work. It's not just a bunch of fun and games. And if you think that marriage is going to save you from all of your loneliness, if you think that marriage is going to solve all of your problems, you are so wrong. It is not going to solve all of your problems. It may actually make some of your problems worse. So if you let Jesus be your ultimate thing, rather than marriage, rather than singleness even then you're freed up to enjoy marriage and enjoy singleness as a good gift from God. So you've got to get the theological reason for why it's good. But then there's also a practical reason, and this is equally important. So look now at verses 32 through 35, and I'm going to read this one more time. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So the second reason. Is a practical reason. What he's saying in what in these verses is that there's actually a practical advantage to being single, and it's founded just on common sense. <laughs> the common sense fact that this is founded on is that marriage. As glorious as it is, it's also messy. <laughs> to get married means that you're putting your spouse's needs above your own needs and desires. It means that you're no longer number one. You're no longer free just to do whatever you want. You're no longer free just to say, "Hey, I'm gonna like make a pit stop on the way home from work today, and you know, go I don't know, go out to the shooting range." Or you know, if it were me, it would be stopping by a bookstore or something. You know, like you you you're you're not the master of your own time anymore because you've got a spouse. <laughs> So you you're you're not just free to do whatever you want anymore and Paul says that that very common sense fact means that if you're married that sometimes will conflict with certain things that you might want to do in service to God. So for example, I once heard a story about a pastor and in in this particular marriage his wife just began to have some real significant uh, challenges and misgivings about her husband's role in ministry. And he began to realize that him serving as the pastor of this church was really hard in his wife, really hard in his family. And that if he was going to actually save his marriage, he needed to step back from that role as the pastor of that church. And he did. And that's actually the right thing to do. You know, if you're married, <laughs> your, your wife and your family always go above ministry. If you try to, you know, say that, oh, you know, I'm serving God, so I'm going to put this above my, the needs of my family. Well, <laughs> not only is that not a godly thing to do, but you're going to destroy that family and destroy that marriage. And I remember hearing that story a long time ago, and that, that story always frightened me because I thought, well, man, like I think it would be pretty cool to, to serve God. But, oh, my goodness, like I need to really just be careful that <clears> – <throat> I'm just uh, not kind of thinking about marriage with, with kind of my eyes half shut because Paul's saying here that just at a very common sense level, you're going to have now kind of these multiple obligations to your, to your wife, to your kids, to your family. And sure enough, there have actually been some people uh, throughout history who've had a passion to serve God who really probably shouldn't have gotten married. So like one example of this, there's a guy named C.T. Studd quite the name. Uh, C.T. Stud. he was a world famous cricketer and he left it all behind and went to go be a missionary in China and then later in Africa. Well, <laughs> when he went to be a missionary in Africa, he left his wife behind in England and like didn't see her, like just kind of abandoned her for years and years and years because he was so, you know, gung-ho to go be a missionary. There was another guy, a guy named William Carey. He was a missionary to India and his wife uh, just wasn't really ever able to kind of get behind uh, his call as a pioneer missionary and in fact she eventually wound up losing her mind, went insane uh, on the mission field, and became a huge, uh, just uh, it, was, it was a just a, a burden to, to what Carrie was doing. And so, you know, these are examples of where, you know, in some cases, with the particular call that they had, it's kind of an open question. Well, was that the best choice or not? We don't know. But Paul is giving a practical reason here. He's saying that sometimes marriage can, can hinder things that you might want to do, including ways that you might want to venture out and serve God. And so... Uh, In some ways, singleness may be far more desirable than marriage. And uh, in fact, I just, a little commercial advertisement here. I'm actually hoping we might do a whole talk on this. There's a guy that I know who uh, kind of is an example of sort of a a single Christian who is, uh, at this point at least, stayed single because it's a way for him uh, to live out this kind of calling. So we, we might actually see if we can get him in here to talk about that. So you see, there's a theological reason, there's a practical reason, but there's also a warning. And the warning is... Um, you can be sitting here tonight and be thinking, you know what, I'm single. And now I'm finding out that singleness is really, really good. And so, you know, maybe I should not even think about marriage. Maybe I should just continue to be single. Uh, Because, you know, Paul says there's the theological reason, there's the practical reason. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the warning is, is that you can actually embrace singleness for the wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons. What's one of those wrong reasons? Well, one of the wrong reasons is the reason that our culture... Encourages people to stay single. So, our culture is a little conflicted. On the one hand, it says, You've got to be in a relationship. But on, the other hand, but on the other hand, it says, Oh, you know, don't get married. Don't give up your independence. Don't give up your freedom. Um, or if you do get married, make that marriage all about you. In fact, uh, here's a little excerpt I'm going to read you guys. This is from an article that was in a, a big newspaper, New York Times, 2010. The title of the article was The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. The happy marriage is the me marriage. And uh, here's what this author is arguing. She says, The best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouses were secondary to the survival of the marriage itself. But in modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting. Now, is it wrong to want to be married to someone who is interesting? No. But the point of this article is that she's basically saying that, look, marriage used to be about commitment, but now it's about making yourself happy. Or, you know, again, I really like uh, just the the way that this has been framed by Tim Keller. He says that we used to believe in covenant marriage. So covenant is another word that means promise. So based on commitment, you committed to love your spouse even when things got tough. But now we believe in consumer marriage as a culture. And in consumer marriage, consumer marriage is about getting rather than giving. So a covenant marriage, you're giving. uh, You give yourself in commitment to someone else. But consumer marriage, it's about getting. You come as a consumer looking for your spouse or your partner to make you happy. Or another way to put it, covenant marriage is about lasting commitment. You're committing to your partner no matter what. But consumer marriage is about fleeting feelings. You know, like I feel in love with this person as I'm like standing there, you know, at the altar about ready to marry him. But the problem is feelings don't last. I mean, you can like feel head over heels, you can feel like the most in love you've ever felt with someone. I can guarantee you those feelings are not gonna last. <laughs> They're not gonna last. And so if you're trying to build a relationship kind of with the consumer mindset, it's gonna fail. It's not gonna be good. But but that's why in the Bible, marriage is defined as a covenant. It's based on a promise. So, the reason I bring this up is that our culture actually has its own practical reasons for staying single, but those reasons are not all about God, they're all about us. And so, beware if you're single, or if you kind of like the idea of being single, beware that you're not actually kind of substituting the Bible's reasons for your own reasons. Uh, just let me kind of flush this out a little bit. <clears throat> uh, by way of just kind of pointing out um, just like a personal experience that just kind of made an impression on me. I've got a friend, um, and I went to his wedding. I actually got to be, uh, and was invited to be in his wedding. And and it just stood out in my mind because, you know, I've been to a lot of different weddings, but this one in particular, uh, this friend of mine loves independence. He's probably one of the most independent people I've ever met. And it was so cool to see him stand before his bride on the altar And to pledge that he was always going to be there for her and with her. He was laying down his independence and his freedom for the sake of a covenant. And I thought, wow, that is so beautiful. In fact, I remember I wrote in my my journal um, about my friend. I said, um, he's far and away the most independence loving of my friends. I so admire today the way he surrendered that independence to the Lord and joyfully committed to loving his wife. That far more than clinging to the selfish privileges of singleness is manliness. So, there are practical reasons for embracing singleness, but be sure yours are the right one. And just, you know, one more implication about that is that uh, there are probably some people here tonight who uh, may be actually too desirous of marriage. Maybe it's possible that you've been kind of idolizing a relationship and thinking, man, unless I have a relationship, I'm just going to be miserable. But there might even be some people here who are on the other side of the spectrum where maybe you're actually too dismissive of marriage. And maybe you need to think a little bit more about pursuing it. Because if you're anything like me, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that you're staying single to serve the Lord. when really, it's just because you love your freedom. Or, you know, it's possible that maybe you're a little dismissive of marriage because you've been in a relationship. And have really gotten hurt. Someone's wounded you. And now out of fear of getting hurt again, you're wanting to stay away and never even kind of open that door again. And i'm not saying that those things don't matter i mean those things are really significant and you and it's really important to kind of process that and to get to a healthy place but just be sure that you're not kind of importing your own reasons rather than the bible's reasons and then there's one last point to make Uh, you know we've seen that there's this theological reason there's a practical reason but i want to point out that that paul goes to great pains here if you notice this if you if you look at this that none of these are moral reasons for embracing singleness So, the practical reason and the theological reason are not moral reasons. The reason this is important is that you might be shocked tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to learn that uh, despite the fact that I have been a single for most of my time at Thrive, um, not all the time, but most of it, you may be shocked to know that I've not always been single. Uh, You probably have thought, man, Michael, that guy's just condemned to, uh," (laughs) just kidding. But but, uh, actually, the first relationship I was ever in unfolded when I was in college, And when I was making the decision about whether to date this girl, I just got so tied in knots. And it was all because of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it was specifically because of one little word in verse 38. Verse 38, this is the verse I said we'd come back to. Paul says, not merely that singleness is equal to marriage. He actually says it's better. Than marriage. Now I was an, you know, I'm an oldest child. And so oldest children are rule followers, they tend to be kind of high-minded people. And I just kind of thought, well, if singleness is God's best, how could I ever, you know, spiritually minded man that I was, how could I ever stoop to God's second best and you know, go date this girl? The problem was that she was kind of the same way, so we it was just a whole thing. But maybe you've wrestled with that before, maybe you've even wrestled with this very passage. So Here's what untied the knot for me. What untied the knot for me was realizing that what Paul actually meant by the word better was different than what I thought. So he doesn't mean that single people are morally better than married people. And he doesn't mean that single people are more spiritual than married people. And the reason we know that is because Paul points out in verse 28 and verse 36 that to get married is not a sin. (laughs) It's not a sin. It's not a moral issue marriage is not more or less moral than singleness but marriage is he's saying better practically he's simply pointing out that you know look because of that common sense practical reason if if you are looking to 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 serve the lord in an intentional you know some sort of specific way then there are going to be some advantages to being single the reason this is important to point out that it's not a moral reason is that if you don't get this The first mistake that you might fall into is that you might stay single and develop a superiority complex. You might say, I'm so spiritual because I've chosen to stay single for Jesus. But in that case, you're not really staying single for Jesus, you're staying single for you. And if I may just kind of be so bold as to say, I think this may be a a, a ditch that sometimes um, those who have come from traditions of like, for example, in the Catholic Church, there's clerical celibacy. Priests aren't allowed to marry as though it's sort of a a higher way to live, I think that that may not necessarily be supported uh, scripturally because that it's more spiritual. And unfortunately, that's opened up the door to a lot of problems. Um, But the other mistake is that you can be single and develop an inferiority complex. You can say, well, I'm so wretched because, you know, doesn't the Bible say that it's, you know, better to be single? And I, like, I just know about myself, I really, really, really want to be married. So, like, because I really, really want to be married, does that just mean that I'm, like, a bad Christian? so either a superiority complex or an inferiority complex. But see, you don't have to fall into either of those ditches because marriage and singleness don't have to be these moral issues that determine whether or not you're like a good Christian. Because believe it or not, it's actually okay to really, really, really want to be married. The point of this passage is just don't make it an idol. If you think that singleness is morally better, you're going to become a proud person or a crushed person. But if you recognize that singleness is just practically better when it comes to the down-to-earth realities of ministry, you'll be a sane person. And the thing that ties this all together is verse 35. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so in all this, he's simply saying that And just kind of go into marriage, if you're going to go into marriage, with your eyes wide open. Recognize what this means for your life. And this leaves open the possibility that there actually may be some people who are going to be able to serve the Lord better if they're married. Like if you're called to marriage ministry, you probably want to be married for that. But if you're called to be a pioneer missionary... It's probably, you know, maybe better to be single for that. So in many cases, the 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 wisdom issue of like, you know, man, is marriage something for me? A lot of times that's really just a result of like, well, what has God called me to? And is that a calling that is going to make it better for me to be one way or the other? The point is, as Paul says here, it's whatever allows you to serve the Lord with, with the utmost devotion. So if you can grasp all of this, then it's a way to look at marriage and singleness, not with pride, not with shame, but with sanity. It's pretty cool. So those are the first two surprises, that it's good, why it's good, and then just one final surprise, and that's simply that Jesus satisfies. Um, I want to end with this just because I think it's really easy when you're talking about a topic like this to kind of get all the theory, but then it's so hard to go from head to heart, and you realize, well, okay, I know that singleness is good, but like, man, I'm single right now. I don't really want to be, and it just is a real struggle for me to believe that I can truly, like, receive this as a good gift from God when, like, I just hate it. I don't want it. Um, and I just want to conclude tonight by just sharing kind of a couple of personal reflections, um, just things that I feel as though the Lord has taught me um, just over the course of the many years now that I've gotten to live my life as a single. Um, and there's just three things I want to I share um, that I feel like have been significant lessons for me. First of all, uh, it's the recognition that both marriage and singleness are good and to hold those things together. Um, there have been times in my life where I didn't really have a desire to be married um, for various reasons. And I kind of thought that singleness was the way to go. But I've now kind of realized that, well, based on some of the things that we've even looked at tonight, um, that there are actually some pretty exciting ways that you can serve God in marriage. Um, and there's some pretty exciting things about marriage. It's a It's a good gift. Proverbs, for example, says that he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives a blessing from the Lord. And it's a lot easier sometimes just to say, well, you know, God, I'm only going to be open to one or the other. Either, you know, I'm going to say I just have to be married or I'm going to say, God, I'm just going to kind of cut off the whole idea of marriage and just be single for the rest of my life. But I've actually learned that I think it's so healthy to kind of live in the tension of saying, well, these are both good gifts and I'm kind of excited to see which one God gives me. And as a matter of fact, you know, you, even for people who are married, you know, a lot of times, like, one spouse dies before the other. And so you kind of start out single, you get married, then you're single again. <laughs> so, you know, just to kind of, to to um, just to tell God, well, God, it has to be either this way or that way. Anytime you ever try to do that to God, you try to just tell God how you want to control your life, <laughs> have fun with that. Number two. So, uh, first of all, just the recognition that both are good and to hold those things together. But it's also uh, another thing I've learned, just the, uh, what an amazing gift singleness truly is. Um, you know, I think just as I look back on the last couple of years, there are so many things that I've gotten to do. Uh, a lot of this stuff with Thrive that I just would not have ever been able to do if I had been married at the time. I'm not married yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just... There, like, uh, there have been mission trips that I've been able to go on. Uh, there have been ways that I've been able to serve you guys. I mean, like I've been able to just have all this undivided time to like have coffee with people from Thrive and to meet people and to do Bible studies and all these things that just would not necessarily be the same um, if I were married. So uh, I've just realized, wow, this is such a good gift. It also has just allowed me to really focus on building my own relationship with the Lord. Um, and it's pretty cool to prioritize that. So... Uh, number one, number two, and then finally number three, just simply, um, I'm going to end with this again, Um, simply that Jesus really does truly satisfy. Um, And if you just have, if you feel like right now, like Jesus is just kind of like someone that you're just supposed to please, you're supposed to kind of follow all the rules, and that's really all that there is to your relationship with him, can I just suggest that you don't really know Jesus very well yet? And can I just suggest that it's actually kind of exciting that there's a lot more of him to get to know because one of the ways that you know that you know Jesus is that you can enjoy him and that he can be your treasure and when Jesus is your treasure as the old song says the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace last week um, I was uh, at a it was like a ministry training event and the guy who ran this particular training is a guy who's 73 years old his name is Ron Ron has never been married. Uh, it's not that he you know, was uninterested in marriage. He, uh, When he was a younger guy, he, he did have some relationships that he was in, but just for different reasons. Uh, that's just not what God had. And so he's been single his entire life. And if you were to meet this guy, I don't think I've met very many people who just have, who just radiate a greater joy and satisfaction and contentment in Jesus than my friend Ron. And I love that. I love that Jesus is enough. And if you're here tonight and you've just been so bent out of shape desiring marriage or desiring relationship or something like that, can I just set you free by saying that Jesus is better? Can I set you free by saying that you're enslaved to something that is never going to satisfy you? If you even got that relationship, if you got whatever it is that you're looking for, nothing can truly fulfill in the way that Jesus can. I just want to be here tonight as a testimony of that. Um, so we're going to go into small groups um, to just talk about this a little bit more. And um, yeah, I just want to encourage you, um, talk about tonight just sort of what, what in this message just kind of maybe changed your perspective on marriage and singleness. Um, are there ways in which maybe you kind of see singleness as maybe more of a gift than you once did? Um, and if you're in a relationship here tonight, um, maybe just think about kind of like what, some of what this passage has to say to us might apply to the relationship that you're in. You know, maybe you're realizing, wow, like I'm kind of turning this other person that I'm with into an idol, (laughs) and it's crushing me, it's crushing them. Um, So I think there's something in here for everybody. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and we're going to break to small groups. Father, uh, just thank you so much that you're a God who gives good gifts, and thank you that marriage and singleness are just two gifts. They're two different gifts. Um, And that, Lord, we can be fully content, fully human, fully satisfied in you, regardless of which one that we have. Um, Father, I pray that we would desire to seek your kingdom first above all things. And that, like Paul writes here, that we would just have a passion uh, to live in a right way, an undivided devotion to you. Um, And, Father, that's what you did for us. Um, You chose to be a single person when you walked through this world so that you could take us as your heavenly bride. Um, And so, Father, um, would we just uh, allow these things to digest, to sink into us. uh, Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.